What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 73 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. And, um, all right. Well, you hear that there's no mic chiming in right now. I have something to tell you guys. I need everyone to calm down, settle down, just chill out, okay? Uh, me and Mike weren't able to make our schedules work this week, um, so instead of me going solo or vice versa, um, me and Mike have both recorded segments that are um, separate from each other, so we're not on at the same time. I know, it sucks, this is not a normal thing, uh, we won't be doing this every week, it, it, it's... Look, I knew that November was going to be a shit show for me before I even started. I had five weddings in November. I had all these other gigs that I was covering for other people. I'm a wedding DJ, for those who don't know. Um, I'm recording this at 3.18 a.m. In, in the morning. Yeah, we, we know by a.m. Good Lord, I am so stupid. But no, um, recording this very late, trying to get this out. Uh, we figured this is better than nothing. Um... We want to be consistent about the podcast, even if we have to do weird, funky shit like this every now and then. So I'm going to do a segment that I picked that I wanted to talk about. Mike's going to do his segment, and uh, that's that's how this, this episode's going to be. Uh, we're always doing something different here, you know? I mean, at least we got that going for us. This is something different. You may not like it. I don't like it. I don't like not having my little compadre Mike here to to kick ideas around with. Uh, he, he's the wind beneath my wings, you know, what can I say? If I, if I can't bounce stuff off Mike, then I'm just a man floating in space, but we've just been very busy, and I know that sounds like an excuse, but it's, it's true, I mean, it's, it's a reason, it's not an excuse, it's a reason. Mike's just started college, he's got a bunch of homework and all this other kind of stuff, he's trying to balance all that out, I've got weddings, and it's like every DJ in my company has called out of their gigs the past few weeks and I've needed to fill in for him and it's just such easy money that there's just no way that I can turn it down so anyway we've got a bunch of uh, collaborations in the mix in the future from various other podcasts that you guys might be interested in um, we have a bunch of things planned so um, you know this podcast is not on its way out by any means but it's just been really busy this this time of year and, and that's to be expected for anybody's life around the holidays I don't know how we were so not busy last year I think I had less gigs and he had less college so I think it's better when you get busier so Josh we get it can you shut up and please tell us about some unsolved mysteries fair enough um, all right so my pick for the uh, mystery that I would like to talk about. Um, we're talking about the show Unsolved Mysteries, by the way. Uh, we're not following along on Amazon Prime or anything. We're just cherry-picking segments that we want to talk about. You guys know the deal at this point. Uh, if you want to like us on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash mysteries. But if you'd like a more enriching experience on uh, social media, I encourage you to join our Facebook group. It's um, just go to Facebook and go to the group sections. You've joined groups before. What are you, you're, you're an adult now. You know how to do that. Just go to the group section and search for Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. It's a way more interactive 
uh, experience, and there's even some stuff on there I can't really tell you about. So you're going to want to go on there and check it out. So anyway, uh, if you want to consider supporting us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You do get perks. Usually you get the podcast early, although that hasn't been the case the past few weeks. <laughs> but uh, I did record a bonus segment recently. I, Josh Cannon, recorded a bonus segment uh, on there um, last week, so um, and that's not to mention all the other like at least ten or fifteen bonus segments on there that myself and Mike and sometimes us together have uh, recorded on there that that you can't find anywhere else. So go check that out if that's your thing. Um, I want to talk about a case that was on the uh, Ultimate Collection box set. I have this like dream, this fantasy of um, eventually I want to cover all the cases that were on the Ultimate Collection box set the unsolved mysteries ultimate collection that sells for like a thousand dollars on ebay now um i don't know i just there was a time before amazon prime before everybody jumped back on the unsolved mysteries bandwagon there was a time i think liz from perhaps it's you podcast was calling it the dark ages when they were on um and, and yeah it it was the dark ages uh there were no ways to watch the segments so i just as a tribute to the box set, I kind of want to cover every segment that was on there. This being one of the bizarre murders that was on the box set. And that would be the murder of Camilla Lyman. Um, this case has everything. It's got a woman transitioning into a man. It's got murder. It's got dogs. It's got, it's got money, uh, old money, high society, aristocratic stuff. It's got, uh, it's got everything but the kitchen sink. Actually, it's got a few kitchen sinks in here as well um it so it literally does have everything by definition so let me tell you a little bit about camilla lyman uh she was a wealthy heiress her parents were old money boston aristocrats she shared her father's passion for show dogs she was popular in the show dog world which i think is kind of a hilarious sentiment uh in fact her sister uh, mary goodall uh, was even saying in the segment, Camilla was good in the dog world. She had an affinity for dogs. Now, you might think that sounds kind of silly, as, as would I, but, you know, my mom's kind of the same way. She's like the dog whisperer. Uh, my family, who I don't live with anymore, thank God, not that they're bad people, but, I mean, come on, I'm 29 years old. I need to live by myself, right? But they have a dog uh, named Lenny, and he's half Greyhound, half Rat Terrier. And that bastard dog, I swear, he's, he's mentally, he's special. He has barked at me furiously ever since we've gotten the dog. I remember rocking him in my dad's recliner as a puppy, singing uh, that Elvis song, I Can't Help Falling in Love With You. And he growled at me. That was the first time he ever vocalized was when I was rocking him in my dad's recliner singing Can't Help Falling in Love with You by Elvis. That little bastard started growling at me. So me and Lenny have had some shit between each other since day one. Um, but he loves my mom. Same with other dogs that my mom has encountered. Dogs that are insufferable to everybody else on the planet will love my mom. So my mom is like the dog whisperer. So when Camilla's sister Mary is saying Camilla was good in the dog world, some people just have an affinity for dogs. Dogs were this girl's whole life, this lady, I should say. Um, she never married. 
you know? Her whole life, she never married. She was never into any of that, which, you know, good for her, because I'm not married. I don't plan on getting married. Um, No disrespect to anybody who is married, you know? More power to you, but some people don't want to do that, and that should be okay. Anyway, um... So she was popular in the dog show world. According to her sister Mary, uh, she was a good handler and she was a good breeder of clumber spaniels. Now, I personally love the spaniel breed. I love cocker spaniels. I love springer spaniels. Uh, I love sp- I know they are not intelligent dogs. They are not, by any stretch of the imagination, intelligent dogs. But God, they are cute and they are sweet dogs. Um... So I I have a special place in my heart for Spaniels. As I said before, she never dated or married. Her dogs were her life. She was uh, said to be a solitary spinster. She lived with her parents on their 100-acre estate. Good Lord, that's a lot of land. Uh, I don't know if you know about acres or not, but my grandparents had a 10-acre plot of land when I was growing up, and I felt like that was just this huge football field-like yard. 100 acres? I can't even imagine Uh, That's when you have one of those houses that's like right in the middle and you have like a gate around your property and it's literally like you are sealed off from the rest of the world. Like for miles, no one's going to mess with you. And if you see a car coming down your driveway and they haven't called ahead of time, get your firearm ready because they are uninvited. Uh, It's kind of hard to accidentally drive into somebody's driveway on a 100 acre estate. Can't really use the excuse that, oh, sorry, just backing up. Uh, when it's a 100-acre driveway. Her father, Arthur, died in 1968. When her mother died five years later, her world seemed to fall apart. Uh, You know, who could blame her if she's not married and she has no other family or, well, she has other family, but, you know, her mom and her dad are her life and those, those people will love you more than anybody else will probably love you in your entire life. So when your parents die, I can, I could see how that would be traumatic. That's, that's a, some uh, horror that I don't even want to think of right now. Her behavior became more and more bizarre. Starting in the mid-1970s, Camilla's sister Mary noticed that the estate was not being taken care of properly. Camilla became an eccentric recluse and spent more time with her dogs than she did with people. Her appearance began to change as well. She bought animal steroids and began taking them herself. Her voice deepened, she began to develop facial hair, and she began wearing men's clothing. Between 1978 and 1985, she underwent a transformation to being a man, legally changing his name to Cam Lyman. Now, if you're wanting to transition your sex from male to, or from female to male, taking animal steroids Probably not the best thing to do, to do that. They have, uh, they have human steroids for that purpose. But I digress. You know, maybe she was a little, uh, getting, losing it a little bit in the, in, in the mind there, thinking that the animal steroids were the way to go with that. Sorry, I'm drinking a beer, everybody. This is the first time ever on the podcast that I've had a few beers. So, uh, just let that be a piece of information that's in your mind. Around 1981, he started to associate with a fellow dog owner named George O'Neill. 
George was eventually hired by Cam, becoming the caretaker of his estate. He took care of paying Cam's bills and arranged uh, rides to dog shows. O'Neill also fed and showed his dogs. Eventually, he became Cam's sole confidant. He he associated with no one else but O'Neill. Now, they've switched the gender around in this in this paragraph, and you know, regardless of how you feel about gender, this, that, and the other, um, whenever I say he, I'm referring to Camilla, the original person I was talking about, the she who transitioned to he. So when I say he, I'm referring to Camilla. Um, so he. Cam continued to become more eccentric, carrying a briefcase with thousands of dollars worth of jewelry wherever he would go. He also took thousands of dollars of cash to the grocery store just to buy some milk. Just to buy a gallon of milk, you bring a thousand dollars cash with you. How the hell does that make sense? Uh, a very old school way, I should say. Now, this show is saying that it's eccentric. Um... I don't know if it's eccentric or if it's just being old and paranoid because I had many of grandfathers and great-grandfathers who would carry a lot of money around with them. I've had old people, hell, even back when I worked at CVS Pharmacy uh, as a just a cashier, uh, I'd have these old farts come in and buy cartons of cigarettes and they'd pull out this big band of, uh, you know, 50s and 20s and they'd kind of, you know brandish it around like look at me you know and it's like yeah that's good just let everyone know exactly how much money you have dipshit let me know let me know how that works out for you flashing that around the wrong wrong spot you know especially especially in these economic times i hate to go off trail here but like is there ever a time in history where the phrase especially in these times of uh, our economy especially how our, is there ever a time where we were able to say yeah, no, in these economic times, things are great, you know, everything's going everything's going really well. I think you can pretty much always say, yeah, things are hard, especially in these economic times, and, and people around you will just be like, yes, here, here, you are correct. Um, anyway, I digress yet again. Um, in 1984, George O'Neill helped Cam sell his Massachusetts home and buy a 40-acre property in Hopkinton, Rhode Island. It just rolls right off the tongue. Cam vanished sometime in 1987. His disappearance was discovered when his relatives and friends failed to receive Cam's customary Christmas card. The family was especially concerned because checks that had been sent to Cam were being endorsed with an account number for a bank in Rhode Island instead of his signature. In December 1988, his family contacted the police and reported Cam missing. They also contacted the law firm in charge of the Lyman Trust. They hired Charles Allen to investigate the disappearance. Allen discovered that O'Neill had been depositing Cam's trust fund checks. He was surprised to find that O'Neill held Cam's power of attorney. He was also Cam's sole beneficiary and stood to inherit his whole estate. O'Neill's a sly little bastard, just sliding himself into all these awesome situations for himself. George O'Neill was asked about Cam, who was not concerned about the disappearance, claiming that he had done it before. She had done it before, however you want to refer to this person, Camilla, Cam, whatever. He also claimed that in July of 1987, he and Cam had an argument over the phone about the dogs. The next day, O'Neill went to Cam's house and found the phone had been ripped out of the wall and the dogs were unattended. He never saw Cam again. Now, um... 
in this reenactment here, uh, Mary, Camilla's, uh, or Cam, Cam's sister, uh, she was interviewed and um, about the whole um, gender transformation thing. And I really love what she had to say um, because it was the most, it was some, because, okay, they show her Mary Goodall, Camilla's sister, and, and she's old, you know, there's no mistake in that. She's very old, even in Unsolved Mysteries, uh, when this was filmed, uh, which was later. This this originally aired on the June 11th, 1999 episode, so, you know, she might still be alive today. Uh, she'd be very old, because 99 was almost 20 years ago, which is fucking nuts to think about, and I don't like thinking about it, but... Uh, yeah, that was almost that was almost twenty years ago, but um, yeah, she was she was interviewed for this, and you're thinking old you know old lady she's gonna say all kinds of like you know crazy shit judgmental shit about the this this transformation that her sister did, but she was quoted here. Mary Goodall was quoted as saying, "My sister in California called me up and said, hey, Camilla's on TV and she's dressed up like a man.'" And she said, what do you think? And I said, well, I I did hear that she did that sometimes. It was shocking in a way and very surprising. And this is what I love about the quote. She goes, but because of your respect of people's privacy, unless Camilla wished to explain why she was doing this, we didn't ask any questions about it. We just accepted it the way it was. I mean, what more can you ask for in a family member than that level of acceptance, you know? This 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 lady Camilla went out and totally just transformed herself into something different and her family just took it at face value and was like, "Yeah, cool. You know, we still love you. You're still awesome." I just I don't know, man. Like I just commend that level of um non-judgmental thinking. As weird as you might think um that kind of stuff is as far as like people transgender uh people and people who want to like, you know, do that regardless of what your beliefs are on it you you gotta respect that level of of non-judgmental uh, attitude and in that level of acceptance you know what i mean i mean that's just that that's that's uh that really stood out to me you know because uh, older people kind of have a shitty reputation for being accepting and non-judgmental um so it, it was refreshing i should say to see that anyway i don't want to harp on that for too long but Fuck me for thinking that that was cool, you know? Okay, so, going back here, um, O'Neill claims, uh, that he believed that Cam had gone to Europe to undergo a sex change operation, but gave no reason as to why he thought this, or why he neglected to inform anybody about Cam's disappearance. Meanwhile, George O'Neill acted in a suspicious manner, refusing police to search Cam's property, showing Cam's dogs as his own, and cashing checks coming in for Cam and keeping the money for himself. So George O'Neill is basically your run-of-the-mill leech. He's your run-of-the-mill opportunist. He sees somebody with a lot of money and, and maybe somebody a little too trusting of other individuals, and he just goes, what is in this for me? How can I milk this for all it's worth? George O'Neill sounds like a real piece of shit, and uh, unfortunately, this is uh, one of the many times we see this happen on Unsolved Mysteries, where somebody I- endears themselves to an older, wealthy, um, you know, recluse kind of person, 
and eventually they kind of take over. I mean, hell, they don't even have to be rich. There's cases on Unsolved Mysteries where the person wasn't rich. I'm thinking of the Tim Good segment where um, the the Tim Tim Good owned a house and a farm, and this guy comes in and uh, just totally takes advantage of Tim. Actually, Tim was rich. Never mind. So Tim was rich too. That was not an example of somebody who was not rich. Tim was also wealthy. Um, so anyway. Much of Cam's net worth, from bank accounts to family heirlooms, had disappeared. This was between three and five million dollars, and this was uh, back in the, what, the 80s, maybe early 90s. So double that, you know, at this point. So that's like what six to twelve million dollars in today's money. Alan did not believe that Cam would have gone to Europe for the operation because he was afraid. Camilla, Cam, however, they were afraid of even going to the doctor or dentist, let alone flying to Europe for a sex change. Cam's sister Mary does not believe he would ever leave his beloved dogs behind. In December of 1994, Cam's family asked the probate court to declare him legally dead. The judge declared him dead in July of 1995. I was in first grade. The judge noted that she did not believe O'Neill was credible and was suspicious of him. In 1997, a new police chief reopened the case and began searching Lyman's property. On September 24th, 1997, Cam's remains were found inside the sewer system near uh, her home by Greg Siner, Sinner, whatever, who had bought and lived in the house. He located the remains after noticing a strange smell from the sewer. That is not how you want to locate remains. A stank-ass smell, and then you find a skeleton in the damn sewer. Which is what they found in the reenactment. That's what they depict in the reenactment, at least. Coincidentally, investigating uh, were... This article's fucked here. It's supposed to say investigators. Coincidentally, investigators were searching other parts of the property at the time. In October of 98, dental records confirmed that the remains belonged to Cam. The medical examiner concluded Cam had been murdered, probably around the time he disappeared. Cam's murder remains unsolved. Now, the suspects in this case, obviously, is George O'Neill. He's the prime suspect in the disappearance and death of Cam. His actions prior to and following the disappearance were extremely suspicious. Um, You know... He never reported Cam missing or told his family about the disappearance. He also became Cam's sole beneficiary and would inherit the estate. Uh, After Cam's disappearance, O'Neill began showing Cam's dogs as if they were his own. He also cashed Cam's checks, blah, 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 blah. You know, he wouldn't let investigators search the property. Um where he probably knew that Cam's remains were, you know, because he probably put them there allegedly um so he of course he didn't want him searching because the sewer system would have been searched and the bones would have been found uh other suspects in the case include o'neill's cohort robert ragosta who is also cam's attorney and john and judy weeks caretakers of the lyman property Now, as far as any updates, it still remains unsolved. After the broadcast, investigators received several leads from viewers. One viewer was an associate of Cam's who knew about the goings-on at the Lyman Estate. Investigator Charles Allen noted that this information, quote, could be a break in the case. 
It is unknown what the information was or how it may have helped the case, but in 2003, a grand jury indicted O'Neill, the prime suspect in the murder, for embezzling $15,000 from Cam's trust. He was sentenced to just one year probation and fined $450 for court costs. Recently, he reported, quote, she's dead. I don't know anything about it, end quote. Unfortunately, O'Neill died in 2011 without ever being charged. $450 for court cars. costs. Cars? Whatever I'm trying to say. Yeah, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but just uh, to show up in court, if you get tried for anything, just to show up, just to be there, uh, it costs about four dollars to $500 in U.S. court. Like when I got my uh, reckless driving, a.k.a. DUI, um just for me to like show up just for me to stand in their courtroom and take up their time i got charged 400 and like 30 dollars i want to say which is just hilarious i don't fucking want to be there it wasn't my choice to be there and now i'm having to pay them money it's just anyway i don't want to get off on that whole tangent but um that greg signer guy who owned the property after the fact and discovered camilla's remains um, I also liked what he had to say about the whole her transitioning thing because he goes, I remember people talking about Camilla um, changing of her, uh, the changing of her clothing and her appearance, but you got to remember, you're at a dog show. You're judging dogs, not people. And I think Camilla felt very comfortable amongst her dog friends. It, you know, this whole case is sad because all this lady slash gentleman wanted to do was, you know, be with their dogs and just enjoy the rest of their life and this leech george o'neill comes in and is a complete piece of shit and uh just sucks sucks them dry of their funds and like i said this this just this happens all too often and you hate to see it but human nature you know what what are you gonna do um I mean, the likeliest case, you, you got to think, Cam, Camilla, however, they were alone most of the time. This George O'Neill guy somehow, somehow ingratiated himself into Cam's life, and so much so to where he became their sole confidant, and in a situation like that, it's like, yeah, they could, George could easily kill Cam and get away with it. And he did. He died without ever being charged. He only got indicted for embezzling money. He didn't get indicted for the murder. He didn't get charged for the murder. So, that's kind of what's dangerous about being a recluse and letting that one person in. Um, that, that they, you know, they will probably, if you have money, it's, it's very tempting, I think, for a lot of people to, to, uh, take advantage, you know, it's probably difficult, it's probably more difficult to not take advantage in a situation like that, um, for a lot of people. Now, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it personally. Uh, I'm of the, I'm pretty much of the firm belief that you need to work for everything you have and you need to earn it the the correct way and 
the right way and not, you know, steal or any of that kind of stuff. But uh, that's just me. So um, that's that's all I have to say about this case. Um, so right now we're going to move over to Mike. <laughs> so this is kind of like one of those, uh, you remember those things you got as a kid, those, um, what were those pixie sticks? No, they weren't pixie sticks. They were fun dips, fun dips. And you could take the little, um, it was like a chalky, like, like a, what was it, like a tart tasting candy and you could like, and you sucked on it. <laughs> Uh, you sucked on it, and then you dipped it in powder, and you had all these different flavors you could choose from. You had, like, strawberry, grape, whatever. So just think of this episode of Un Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries as, like, a fun dip packet. So if you really hate me, personally, and you don't like the sound of my voice, and you don't like my commentary on things, skip this part and go straight to Mike, and you can hear just Mike talk about his stuff. On the other hand, if you can't stand Mike and you think he's a douchebag, then just listen to me and turn it off right now. It's like a fun dip of our podcast. Um, but anyway, over to you, Mike. Knock him dead, kid. Hey there. Welcome to my portion of this week's episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. This totally unorthodox, but hopefully still totally awesome episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. This is not going to be a normal thing. This is one of those things where our schedules didn't really work out. And this is what we're able to present to you guys and gals. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And uh, without further ado, let's get started. Let's talk about the case that I picked for this episode. I picked a real juicy one, um, and that is the case of the priest killer. Now, I believe something about this case sounds familiar to me, like maybe I was going to talk about it in one of the podcasts and didn't get around to doing it, or I did it as a bonus segment on Patreon. But regardless, I'm still talking about it today because this is an excellent segment. It really does exemplify classic Unsolved Mysteries and why Unsolved Mysteries is such a one-of-a-kind and spectacular show. Uh, the mood and the atmosphere this segment creates is unforgettable, and since this is a case that is absolutely horrific and terrifying, at the same time, it's a case that's still unsolved, so it lives up to the name Unsolved Mysteries, so that's another, re another reason why it exemplifies the show, and it's a quintessential segment for the series, but also... It's got that late 80s vibe to it that just makes it really stand out in a good way because the way that it's shot, the cinematography, the direction, and the reenactments and things like that, it's just a very well-put-together segment. And um, it's one of those cases where it's shocking. You can't believe the brutality that is presented or the brutality that happened to uh, these priests. It's one of those things that it, it's, it's hard to even fathom. So this case actually is a case of uh, not one priest murder, but uh, two. 
and uh, it's believed that there might be a serial killer involved with this, where there's a serial killer who's going around in New Mexico and murdering priests, which is just, honestly, it's, it's really fucked up. It really is. It's a fucked up thing to do. It's a fucked up thing to kill people, period. But priests, I mean, priests, they end up living their lives and spending their whole lives serving God and serving other people and helping other people. And their door is always open. And for someone, for some scumbag to take advantage of that and use that to take their lives, it's just, it's just messed up. It's just all kinds of fucked. So on the evening of August 7th, 1982, a call was placed to the rectory of the St. Francis Cathedral in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The caller needed someone to administer the last rites. He wanted, he was calling from a payphone. I'll say this in the reenactment, the actor who's playing this mysterious potential killer, not the best actor. His line delivery was, was pretty bad, but that adds to the charm of the show. You know, you have this amateur hour acting where this guy is talking about, oh, yeah, can I get a priest? Yeah, um, uh, 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 Father, I, I would like you to say the last rites for my grandfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you can you come over to you know? Can you can you come over to Santa you know over on uh, Santa Fe? You know, yeah. It's one of those like it's like, oh, how about meet me at this rest stop, uh, uh, near Waldo. So, <laughs> so it's just one of those. It's like. Yeah, this this guy, uh, he definitely should not quit his day job. <laughs> uh, the guy who's playing uh, the killer on the phone. So, the caller said his name was uh, Michael Carmelo, which sounds like a made-up name. And so he said he's Michael Carmelo, and he was trying to get a hold of somebody to administer last rites. There was another father who was unable to leave the rectory, so he asked the guy to call again. He called back 15 minutes later. Father Ronaldo Rivera is the one that took the call, and he, the, the guy on the phone then told him, I need you to come immediately to administer, to administer the last rites. My grandfather is dying. So not only is this guy taking advantage of priests and ultimately is killing priests, or at least killed one priest. Uh, is leaning towards killing more than one priest. If you look at the the evidence that's provided, this guy's also making up lies and and stuff about his grandfather dying. I mean, this guy's a, a real piece of work. Okay, no, no, scratch that. He's a real piece of shit. So anyway, according to Lieutenant Gilbert Ulibari of the Santa Fe Police Department, Michael Carmelo was calling from a rest stop near Waldo, New Mexico. And apparently Waldo is there. So if you're ever looking for Waldo, you're like, where's Waldo? Uh, it's in New Mexico. So Father Rivero, Le, Rivera, I guess I've just said, Geraldo Rivera, tonight on Geraldo, some guy can't speak properly, and it's an absolute ridiculous spectacle. 
<laughs> so anyway, uh, I'm just digging my, I'm digging the hole further and further and deeper and deeper, aren't I? I'm burying myself up to my neck. So Father Rivera left that evening to meet someone at the rest stop in Santa Fe. This was on a Thursday evening. He was reported missing Thursday night. This is Gilbert Ulibari speaking. And he didn't show up Friday. There was a broadcast made that Father Rivera was missing. Obviously, we had a location. At least we knew it was Waldo somewhere in that area because the priest remembered Waldo, New Mexico. Three days after he had vanished, Father Rivera's body was found on a deserted road three miles from the rest stop. At Father Rivera's funeral, the entire city mourned. And there were some like disturbing things that were discovered at, at the site of his body. You know, his body was found. They found a lot of just really disturbing things. Um, they found a bloody coat hanger. And you, they, the, they, they found bullet wounds in the father's body, which, of course, is the, was the cause of death. The killer shot him. But then there's other things that they found. There's a coat hanger that may or may not have been used to gag the father or strangle him or beat him with it. And the segment shows the bloody coat hanger. And, and that just, the bloody coat hanger has just burned itself in my memory. It's one of those things that it's hard to shake because just, and it doesn't show you a reenactment of the father getting strangled with a coat hanger or anything like that. It doesn't need to do that. Just seeing the bloody coat hanger and then hearing the, the police officer talk about what it might have been used for is chilling. It is something that chills you straight to the bone. Because just think about it. Think about going through that. Think about getting gagged with a coat hanger. Think about getting strangled with one. Think about the pain. Think about how excruciatingly horrible that situation would be and it's one of those things that just uh it just it just gives me it makes me shiver it really does and it's just it really is it, it's a real it takes a real piece of shit a real horrible inhuman thing i don't even know if i even want to call him a human being he's a thing to do something like that to another person not only to kill them, but to do this torturing shit with a coat hanger, uh, and the the shot of the coat hanger and the body and the other stuff. It really does show once again how effective this show is when it comes to making an impact on the viewer, and also it, like I said, it's really showcasing the early unsolved mysteries, like the classic unsolved mysteries, where you have shots and splatters of blood like it, it's you saw that a lot in this early season and then as the seasons went on that it's like the networks were like we can't show that much blood what are you doing like this is not a directed video horror movie like this isn't a slasher film we can't be showing all this blood but there's a lot of blood in this there's blood on the can on the on the coat hanger there's blood in 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 a trunk somewhere there's blood on clothes there's there's, there's blood on a shovel there's just blood everywhere I mean, I'm sure it could be bloodier, but for a network television show, this is pretty dang bloody, even for the time. So, Father Rivera's funeral was a big 
deal for the city. Like, everybody mourned. Uh, even Protestants and Jews and Catholics, they all mourned for the loss of this priest. And understandably so. He he died doing his service for people and for, for Christ. It's one of those things that's like, even if you're not religious, and I'm not the most religious guy, but that's just, that should should never happen. A priest should never feel that their safety is threatened. They should never feel like they could die if they're going on a call to help somebody. That that should never be a thing. And uh, sadly, that's that's what happened to Father Rivera. He was shot in the back by some scumbag and maybe tortured by the same scumbag with a coat hanger. So... The night after, on the night of the murder, you had the man calling himself Carmelo, and he was waiting for Father Rivera at the rest stop in a blue pickup truck. Lieutenant Yuli Bari uh, has developed a theory of what happened next, and he's quoted here, The killers were probably waiting there for him. When he arrived at the rest area, they singled him out. There's no way one individual could handle Father Rivera, or he would have given them a hard time. So there had to be at least two people involved, and we know they had guns obviously because he was shot, so I'm sure they controlled him with that weapon. But there had to be two people involved to subdue him because he was a very strong individual. I like how the father is... I mean, not the father. I mean, how uh, the lieutenant is talking about how he was super strong. Like, there's no way that one guy could have taken... What What if it was, like, a guy who was built like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime? Like, uh, I, I'm, I, I, I find it kind of hard to believe that Father Rivera is, like, this unbelievably strong guy does he have superpowers that were given into given to him by god is he bible man in disguise i am it's one of those things it's like yeah he might be strong but i mean there are such there are people who could be stronger and and it seemed like he was an older man too but at the same time he probably was a strong guy and maybe there were two people there's two scumbags, there's two scumbags. They're both scumbags. They're both equally awful human beings or inhuman things for doing what they did to Father Rivera and what they what they what they did to other people. I mean, just for even thinking about doing that kind of shit. Just inhuman. So Lieutenant Ulibari believed that the killers took Father Rivera to a remote desert area. He was not killed where where he was found. They drove to a location, threw him on the ground, and left. They could have hit him anywhere in the Waldo area, and there are several places in Waldo where you can hide a body and you never find it. So obviously they wanted him to be found. Yeah, because it's part of their sick game, or part of the killer's sick game. He wanted people to know, I killed a priest. According to Lieutenant Ulibari, the killers returned to the rest stop after the crime to remove Father Rivera's car. His vehicle was found at a rest area, just east of Grants, New Mexico, which is about two hours from Santa Fe. There was no physical evidence found in the vehicle. We didn't find any fingerprints. There were no blood stains. Nothing to indicate that someone had even driven the car. It had been, it had been wiped clean. That's an interesting note. That shows you that the people who are doing this are professionals. These are not just random spree killers. These are not just random thrill killer, thrill killer types. This is somebody or, or multiple people who are professionals. They know what they're doing. Which is equally... Which makes everything even more terrifying. So Lieutenant Ulibari had a few clues, and after 
had few clues, and after a nationwide check, he found no suspects named Michael Carmelo. Yeah, because it was a dummy name, and it was never really a real name. Which, once again, goes to how smart these, individual, in, these individuals are, this individual is. They may be smart, but they're still scumbags. They're still pieces of shit, despite how smart they are. He's a smart piece of shit. He's a, he's a smart, murdering piece of shit. Okay, fine, you're smart, but you're still a murdering piece of shit. Who's killing priests? So, as far as a motive, Father Rivera was not the target. A Catholic priest was a target, for whatever reason. Robbery was not a motive because there was nothing taken from the priest other than his last rites kick, uh, kit. Um, and and I said kick. Well, I'm pretty sure the killer got a kick out of killing the priest. Um, because it seems like he's, he's keeping the last rites kit. It's the type. So he took a souvenir. It wasn't robbery because the priest had like $1,200 in cash on him, and it was still there. So he went in and stole the last rites kit, and uh, the lieutenant's talking about the apparently the killer might want to be able to relive the experience uh, of killing a priest every time he looks at this last rites kit, which, yeah, it ties into serial killers that like keeping souvenirs. I, 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 it's a pretty terrifying thought to think that there's some serial killer priest killer who is still on the run and has not been captured and has not been caught and forced to submit and to receive judgment for his crimes. But, uh, yeah. It seems like that's the case because this is, like I said, this is still an unsolved mystery. So two years later, on August 8th, 1984, Ronan, Montana, another priest disappeared. Father John Kerrigan was new to the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Ronan. He had only been there for four days before he also vanished. At 11 p.m. on the night he disappeared, Father John Kerrigan went to a bakery across the street from the church to chat with his parishioners. After a few minutes, he was returning home to go to bed. But he was never seen again. According to Detective Sergeant Bruce Phillips of the Lake County Lake County Sheriff's Office, the next day a passerby discovered a pile of bloody clothes at a turnout along the highway that circles the nearby Flathead Lake. After we realized that they were Father's Kerrigans, we did a search of that area. A bloody coat hanger was found close to the clothing, and we concluded that the coat hanger was used to tie someone up, or could have been used to strangle someone. But it is definitely connected to the clothing, and it wasn't just a hanger lying or lying there. It had been deformed and definitely used for some purpose. So the hanger was shown in this particular seg- this part of the segment. So I was I had it mixed up, but you can't blame me because it's, it's an image that was hard to shake. So it's one of those I just kind of wanted to talk about it uh, while I still had it in my while it was still burned in my memory probably still will be will be burned in my memory i'll never think of coat hangers the same i'm just gonna i'm just gonna be thinking of this segment uh gives a whole new meaning to the term no more wire hangers ever yeah don't use wire hangers to uh subdue tie people up uh strangle somebody or do anything like that like just use them to hang up your clothes Don't be using them for anything else, okay? Don't be beating up your kids with them either. Don't be mommy dearest. Just, just, don't be a serial killer, priest killer. Just, 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 
leave the hangers in the closet and use them for clothes. That's it. That's why they're called clothes hangers. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, it, and, and the reason I also mentioned the hanger thing with the other priest is because the uh, the, the lieutenant also said that there might have been that hangers were a coat hanger was was involved with the murder of the other father as well in some capacity so a week later detective sergeant phillips found father kerrigan's car five miles from the area where his clothes had been discovered we know that the car sat there for approximately a week before it came to our attention we did a thorough search of that area and we found the keys lying in tall grass there was blood on the front seat, in the right door, and on the right floorboard. We found a shovel in the trunk with blood on it. We found a pillow in the trunk with blood on it. And there was also blood splattered inside the trunk. And in the segment, in the reenactment, you see the blood. You see the blood on the front seat. You see the blood in the right door. You see the blood on the right floorboard. You see a shovel in the trunk with blood on it. And you see the pillow in the trunk with blood on it. And then the blood splattered inside the trunk. So it's one of those where they did as accurate of a job recreating this crime scene as they could for network television and even kind of even did even further i'm pretty sure the censors were not happy with the show with segments like this and like the other segment where i think there was this lady who was beaten with the pipe and there was blood on the pipe and there's other bloody moments in this uh, particular season you could tell as this, as the show went on there was less and less blood uh shown on screen Probably because the censors were like, hey, or the network was like, hey, whoa, whoa, <laughs> a little bit, way too much blood here. This, this is not a horror film, although it, it kind of looks like a horror film at times. <laughs> um, this could definitely be a horror film plot, a, a, a serial killer who kills priests. In fact, they, there, there are horror films where serial killers are killing priests. So that, that's that's actually something that exists there's actually quite a few of them it's really horrible that that's actually a reality it makes you look at some of those corny direct-to-video slasher movies where there's somebody killing priests in a whole different light because it's like well it's not necessarily fantasy so detective sergeant phillips also found kerrigan's wallet which contained more than a thousand dollars in cash so that was the other one I'm just totally backwards. I'm ass backwards today. I apologize. I really do. But I mean, with this type of case, it's just, it just, it discombobulates you. You're just thinking about priests and killings and all this other stuff and coat hangers. And it's one of those things where you just kind of, it's easy to get ahead of yourself. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But anyway, one of the priests had money. It wasn't the priest that I thought it, thought it was, but regardless, he still had money. It just wasn't $1,200 because the priest said the robbery wasn't the motive because there was everything was found intact, including whatever money he had on him. So um, the money was not hidden, so we don't feel that robbery was a motive for this particular crime, just like robbery wasn't a motive for the, for the first priest murder. So when, when Lieutenant Ulibari learned of Father Kerrigan's disappearance, he flew to Ronan to investigate the similarities between the two cases. And he's quoted here. In both cases, the killer wanted people to know I killed a priest. And there's, here's the evidence to show that I killed him. I strongly believe that whoever killed Father Rivera was involved with Father Kerrigan. 
There are other similarities also. Both victims' cars were driven away from the crime scene, and both were, both were wiped clean of all fingerprints and evidence. A metal coat hanger was found near Father Kerrigan's clothes, and there was evidence a coat hanger was used in Father Rivera's murders. Murder. They didn't murder him twice. Although he might, might as well have if he tortured him before he killed him. In both cases, robbery was not a motive, and perhaps most significantly, both priests belonged to the select order of Franciscans. And... The segment ends with a very uh, haunting shot of a cr- of a cross in front of a sunset, and there's no update. I don't have any update for you guys. There isn't one. There really isn't. There's some suspects they thought maybe um, police later found remains that were suspected of being Kerrigan's, but were later proven to be not. They still haven't found Kerrigan. Uh, they they do believe he's dead. But they have not found his body yet. Uh, he remains missing, and in both cases remain a mystery. Uh, Kerrigan's and Rivera's. It is no longer believed that the cases are connected, as Father Kerrigan is discovered to be on a list of priests allegedly involved in child molestation. Wow. Well, I wasn't gonna go there. I didn't say anything until now. Well, you know that definitely does change my viewpoint on. <laughs> On uh, the Father Kerrigan part of this segment, uh, mm, okay, I still don't believe he deserved to die. Maybe, maybe be arrested and serve time for his crimes if he was guilty. But Kerrigan's guilt has not really been confirmed 100%. So he might not actually have done that. So there's really no no way to really know for sure if he really did molest any kids. But the fact that there, there's a possibility of that, and there's allegations, that that does that does not that does not paint things in, in a positive light. But regardless, he's, he's he's dead. I mean, this is a guy who is who's easily no longer around. Uh, it is now believed that Kerrigan's murderer may have been a molestation victim or somebody close to the victim, such as a blood relative. I could see that. But why is there a coat hanger near the... Why Why are all the... It just seems like everything kind of falls into place. I can see why the, the lieutenant was like, yeah, this seems like these cases are connected. Um, regardless, the first case, I mean, with Rivera, that was clearly somebody who was killing a priest and took a souvenir and wanted to, wanted to remind himself whenever he looked at that last rights kick that he... He gave the priest his last rites. In his last day, you know, he 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 killed that priest. So, but there has been some speculation that Father Rivera's murder may be connected to another unsolved mysteries case, where an unidentified man named William William L. Toomey, who committed suicide in a Boise, Idaho church in 1982. Oh, that was an interesting one. Like this guy went into the church and then killed himself in the church while well, Toomey has allegedly been connected to the murder of another priest Father Patrick Ryan although another man, James Ramos was convicted in that case however, police have failed to find convincing evidence that Toomey or Ramos participated in Father Rivera's murder so, it's a whole lot of we still don't know anything we still don't know anything we don't know who killed these priests all we know is that whoever killed these priests is is a total prick this guy's a total asshole 
a total scumbag and inhuman thing that is one of those things. And, and if you're murdering anybody, let alone priests, it doesn't matter, you know, priests, not priests. If you're somebody who murders people, I mean, that, that's that's inhuman. That's a soulless thing to do. That's just, that's sick. It's sick, it's twisted, and it's fucked up. But it's real. Stuff like this happens. And uh, this segment really does show you that nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacred. Nobody's life is sacred. You can be a priest. You can spend your whole life trying to help people and better people. And you can still get the shaft. You can still have some sick fuck end your life. But... Father Rivera, he helped people, he was an inspiration to people, and even though he's dead, he's still remembered and will still be remembered by those that knew him, and his legacy will live on because of, you know, through the acts of kindness and, and that he did while he was still on this earth, and if Kerrigan is not guilty of molestation, the same applies for him. And um, it's one of those things where I really hope that people will remember the sacrifice that that's, that that uh, someone like Rivera has made. Um, this is this is the ultimate sacrifice to lose your life. Doing your duty, doing your duty, doing your best, doing your job, and his job was to help people, to give them hope. And I, I, I think that it's one of those things where you definitely don't want to die the way that Rivera did or, or anything like that. Nobody wants to, but I, I, th I think... His family or his friends or people who knew him can take solace in the fact that he died doing what he genuinely loved doing. He died doing what he stood for, uh, having his door always open to anybody and uh, going out of his way to help people. It just happened to be the person that he helped that night uh, decided to help themselves by killing him. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I know this is a bummer. <laughs> uh, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, I know it's different. Uh, next week, we'll be back to normal. It's just one of those things where, like I said, things just didn't work out in terms of Josh and I being able to get on at the same time. But I hope I still hope you found it interesting, at least, or somewhat entertaining. And, uh, yeah, I will see you later. All right, guys, that was the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm really sorry that it got broken up this way. Uh, this was literally a time thing just for this week. Next week, we'll be back to normal. Um, you can like me and Mike separately, but equally by looking at us on YouTube, looking us up on YouTube. I don't know what I'm trying to say. 
my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Uh, I do video game reviews. I do movie reviews, TV show reviews. Honestly, I, I do too many damn reviews. I've, I've dug myself in too deep and, um, I do too much shit, but you should go and check it out. Uh, I released an Apple video where I kind of, you know, criticized Apple and talked about how they were a little bit overrated. That video's gotten a lot of heat for some reason. A lot of people seem to like it or hate it one way or the other. Either way, it's getting a lot of views, so you can go and check that out. Uh, Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. Now, Mike is smart because he chose one thing and stuck with it, and that's reviewing movies. Uh, he's reviewed so many movies on his channel. He's been doing this since like the beginning of YouTube, since like 2005 or six. so go and give his channel a look as well. And, um, yeah, I'm probably going to be promoting my album at the end of this like I usually do. So until next week, guys, uh, I'm going to edit this to where Mike has the last word as usual. But um, have a good night. Goodbye. See ya. Oh, my God, it's a new commercial. I'm not saying the same shit I've been saying for the last 500 episodes. My name's Josh Cannon, as you guys all know. My album has been complete for a while now. Uh, if you want to find it on iTunes, you can search Dancing With Ghosts on iTunes. That's the name of my band, by the way. If you want a physical CD, you can go to Bandcamp and search Dancing With Ghosts, and you can buy it there, or you can just message me on Facebook, Josh Cannon, and I say, I want a CD, and I will mail it out to you. Also, if you happen to be in the Jacksonville, Florida area, which I know 0.1% of you are, we are playing a show December 16th at Jackrabbits. Um, so you can come out and see me in, in the flesh, in person, and I will greet you and sign autographs or take pictures or wash your car if you want. So you should totally come out to that. That's December 16th in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, thank you for everybody who's bought a CD so far or bought a digital album. I love you and appreciate it more than you will ever know.